Hi, I'm Victor Milligan, your host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And on the phone today, we're joined by Dennis Barnes, CEO of RGAX, uh, to talk a little bit about what's happening in reinsurance and some of the innovations going on in that space. Welcome, Dennis. Thank you, Victor. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start with uh, sort of just baselining reinsurance. Not everyone will know what reinsurance is. Can you just give a quick primer as to what it is, what it does? Absolutely. It's an industry that's actually been around for a few hundred years, but the uh, premise was as insurance companies emerged and started to take on risk related to property and casualty or life and health-related products, they realized that in the event of a catastrophe, that could be a dangerous setting for for the consumers at the end of that line. And so reinsurance emerged to really support the industry to keep it solvent, but also to help the industry as it evolved. And so uh, that actually kind of led to RGAX and and kind of what we're doing as a reinsurer to support the industry. Uh, But ultimately, reinsurance is really there as a backdrop for the insurance industry and uh, ultimately for the good of the consumers that it supports. You know, as I think about it, insurance, and I suspect reinsurance is not typically front and center when folks talk about automation or innovation. What is happening in your neck of the woods? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I have to admit, I came from outside of the industry. So after a career of advertising and marketing, I didn't expect to find myself in the insurance sector. But it's the change that's happening all around the world, really, um, that has led to this need. And As consumers, we're expecting a different kind of experience, looking for convenience. And if you think about what's happening with the likes of Uber or the fact that I can grab my Starbucks on the fly as I'm driving on my way into work, that kind of convenience revolution that we're going through, it's impacting the insurance industry just as well. So uh, how to leverage big data Uh, how to leverage these emerging technologies like machine learning and AI, trying to give the consumer a more seamless buying experience so that you can start and finish the buying process on your mobile device. Um, And, you know, to use the life and health insurance sector as an example, historically, when you buy life insurance, you've had to give blood and urine to have an underwriter make a, a decision on your coverage. And through the use of data and other technologies, we're making the process much easier for the consumer. That's really what's led to it. It's the desire of insurance companies to better serve the customer. And was that the basis of RGAX was to be an innovation arm of RGA? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I, I think the reality is RGA has been an innovator in its 30-plus year history, and that's what got it to the Fortune 250 status. Uh, but the pace of change today is uh, pretty remarkable. And so to keep up with these new kind of around-the-corner emerging technologies, you know, precision medicine and artificial intelligence and blockchain and all these themes that are around us, RGAX is really RGA's commitment to looking further around the corner to say, how might we leverage those capabilities into our business or to help our clients improve their business? And, you know, in doing so, RGA sort of said, we're going to stand up this group different than RGA because it can run differently, run faster, and run sort of unencumbered with some of the daily issues of the the core business. 
How has that been to kind of bring a firm away from core and yet still serve core? How does that feel like? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that at the inception, we moved some people from the core business into this wholly owned subsidiary called RJX and then started to slowly amass talent from outside the industry. And as we've evolved, we continue to put skills together. So traditionally in a reinsurance business, we've got a lot of actuaries and underwriters. And by moving some of that talent in alongside people who come from a variety of other industries and skills from retail to gaming uh, or from you know, marketing to wellness, uh, we now have these cross-functional teams focused on these big macro themes and looking together at what can we do to support the core or to support clients. Um, culturally, I would say that uh, sitting as a separate uh, wholly owned entity, but also inside the mothership. Uh, so physically, we're, we're inside the building. We're working mm. right alongside other people from RGA. Uh, and we're spinning up some capabilities that we maintain within our GAX, and we're also doing some things that spin into the core business. And it's just making sure that at the highest level, we're governed in such a way that the regional traditional business leaders and the RGAX business leaders understand where we're going, we're prioritizing resources the right way, and working together on where we can have the biggest impact. And Dennis, it's hard to have these conversations without talking about talent. When you formed RGX, how did you wrestle with getting the kind of talent needed to innovate at the pace that you wanted to innovate? Well, I think there's a multi-pronged approach to talent. So one aspect of that is our people showing up at the venues where the the type of talent we want to attract, where they hang out. So you would see us at trade shows and conferences and events where we're going to find people who are digitally savvy or data scientists or people that we know will complement our strategy. We've also worked hard to build relationships with universities that are grooming that talent of the future so that we might bring some people in on an internship basis or find people that we can bring in more permanently that come in with new and different skills. And then we use certainly, you know, leveraging social channels like LinkedIn and others to make it known that this is what RGX is about. This is the kind of network and capability we're building, and these are the kinds of skills that we're trying to attract. So through that, I I kind of view us as a talent diversification strategy for RGA. Uh, We've had a number of people go back and forth. So The head of IT for RJX was in place for a few years, and now he is the leader of our Asia-Pacific global IT organization. So he moved from X into A, and uh, we have people moving back and forth, really. Wow. So even though RJX is a wholly owned subsidiary, because you're co-located, there's a lot of interplay among the two firms, which allows you to bring talent on one side, share it to the other, and vice versa. Absolutely. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we all get a paycheck from the same place. Yeah. So we're very, we're very aligned as an organization. So what does it look like to have an actuary sitting next to someone who really knows AI? I mean, these, are, these teams are necessary 
to sort of advance any of the industries. But to your point on diversification, they're coming in from very different skill sets, sometimes temperaments, the whole bit. Bringing those teams together, could you sort of describe that process and how it works and what it looks like? Yeah, absolutely. I'll hold off on any actuarial jokes at the moment. but um, <laughs> That'll come later. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I would say, you know, I'll, I'll take it to a different example when prior to coming to RGA, we were bringing together data scientists and professional marketing strategists and creatives and people who are working on, um, you know, copy and design in the advertising and marketing world. And over time, what we realized was instead of having those people sit in silos around the organization, the best work is created when they sit in teams and they're cross-functional and learning from one another. And so despite some of their differences, maybe that they all have something to bring that ultimately has a positive impact on the customer. And I would say the same is true here. So when we're most successful, we've got people from a variety of disciplines and backgrounds working together. And so while their maybe interests are a little bit different or their skills are a little bit different, they usually find a common ground around um, either the product that's in development or the client that we're in support of, uh, whatever that initiative is. And then also end up finding out that they have a lot of mutual interests outside of business. So it does work. It's just a, a discipline of putting those people together, I think oftentimes physically. And I guess there's this sort of this this concept of if they were separate, actually allowing the, the innovation to come into the insurance process would take longer. But because they're together at the at a point of inception, there's a certain f- trade of friction that exists between a process that might be aging and a technology advance that may mature and actually having both players representing both sides coming together ultimately could give speed to the process and actually make it much more operationally sound going forward. I mean, they're working the issue live, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And I think speed is a great thing that you point out. I think about ultimately what we're trying to impact through a lot of the work that we're doing and it's speed across the value chain of the insurance industry. So there are a lot of steps in the process and every step can impact the customer experience. And so similarly, in terms of how we organize and operate, we've got to do things in a way that enables that speed. So when we've run these podcasts, we've had a number of folks come on and they've taken different approaches to bringing innovation into places where innovation was not the thing. Some have brought it in inside because they felt bringing it inside has a, has a more immediate impact on the mothership, as you described it. Others have taken it off campus because they felt like it would make it would make progress unhindered by the mothership. Of course, it has the attendant problem of when you bring it back, how does that work? When you when you thought through RGAX's process, could you just give me a sense of how you saw the whole thing playing out in terms of getting speed at the front end, getting that innovation DNA, and affecting the mothership in a way that you know, to your point, affects the end consumer. Yeah, you know, I have to admit that we evolved our thinking along the way in this area. So we didn't, day one, maybe get it entirely right. I think when we look at what success is for RJX, because it is a truly global team. We have people all through Europe, South Africa, Asia, and North America. 
So we're sourcing innovation and, and ideas and capabilities from around the world that we can bring into RGA or into clients globally. We had to think about, one, that commitment to future transformations. So making sure that we are always allocating some of our expense and focus to that R&D of what's further around the corner that could be years from monetization, but we need to keep an eye on and try to figure out where the opportunities are. And then another pillar of success is really about how we lean into the core and make sure that what we are focused on is aligned with the things that our core business believes are going to be important. And when we do that well, we end up, that's where the cross-pollination starts to happen as well. Hmm. And then really the third pillar of success is some of these things actually become reality and become scale-ups. And now we have customers and we have to be good at servicing those customers. And so treating those capabilities or those successful pilots that became scale-ups as service businesses with uh, P&L and people structured to support the clients that, that they work with. So really, if you look inside or under the hood, if you will, at RJX, we've got people that are doing all three of those things, but there's also some portability. So people have the opportunity to move back and forth across any one of those areas of focus. Right. On the third pillar, and I'll, I'll use uh, customer experience or CX as the example, what we found was a, a team stood up that was expert in CX. And they may have worked with a select set of other people. And so you had sort of a broader set that at least were conversant in CX. But the rest of the organization really didn't know much about it. And and for them to be activated in that way, they need to go through a learning program. And I, I suspect it's the same thing here where you have a select set of expert people in whatever the innovation is. You have people that are working directly with them, but then there's everyone else in the organization that in pillar three will be part of the commercialization process, part of the customer management process. How did you bring about a learning process to fully take advantage of the innovation commercially? That's a great question. I think that you know, if I reflect on our first true scale-up, it was a data-driven uh, solution for the industry where we worked in partnership with the credit bureau to create a scoring algorithm to help insurance companies um, accelerate the underwriting process. Mm-hmm. And it involved a combination of kind of third-party data experts, people who understand um, where to go procure new data sources, how to import and treat that data. It involves data scientists who can, you know, build models and leverage um, the analytic output um, to help and ultimately inform a decision. It involved our actuaries and underwriters validating that we could stand behind this product. So when a client um, actually buys this score that we're willing to reinsure it. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, the, the education that happens, you know, it, it starts at the operational level saying we've got to make sure we have enough people ready to support this and we can execute. It goes to the business development organization so that they can adequately represent the capability 
and then it starts to go beyond maybe where it started. So in this case, that was a U.S.-based product that we're now taking into other parts of the world. And so the education has to expand into other geographies. And I think that's really where our commitment to change management comes in. So as we're focusing on product development and product management, we have change management people right alongside thinking about what's the right amount of communication, how do we set the right kind of expectations for customers. Um, So it really, I think, takes that other discipline to make sure that people understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, how it affects customers, what customers should expect. So I give a lot of credit really to people in that kind of change management area, which is obviously a growing sector in consultancies and and in all businesses. Sure. Going back to the customer piece, what has the customer experienced differently and how have they responded to those differences in whichever example you want to choose from? Yeah, I I would say that varies pretty dramatically based on various business models that that we see. But to use an example, a lot of clients are working hard to figure out how to attract a millennial audience and the process of kind of providing enough education, but also providing a seamless journey so that they'll stick with the process and and make a purchase. And that audience, from a marketing perspective, may or may not see it as a priority in their life at that time of their life or that age. And so I think the key that we've seen there is that client ultimately has to create a journey that starts and finishes the same way. So if you start me down a digital journey, and I'm clicking through answering a few questions to figure out what insurance product I might need or want, but then you're going to make me fill out a 30-page form to get that insurance coverage. Yeah. I'm not going to. I'm not going to finish. I'm going to. I'm going to abandon that process. But if you can maybe leverage third-party data to know a little bit more as I'm going through that journey as you can um, maybe streamline to where I can click through and answer eight or nine questions right there on the app as opposed to going through and having to opt out to paper or opt out to phone, I'm more likely to finish. So I would say that's where we've seen on the distribution side a lot of change. But even before that, on the product development front, people are working very hard to create products that are going to be more meaningful to today's consumer. So, you know, we've got gig economy workers who need coverage. How do we approach that kind of emerging consumer differently? And that starts with product development as well as then into the actual digital journey. And I think implicit in your answer, Dennis, was that you're having a a meaningful impact on the insurance companies themselves, not just RGA, but actually your partners how has it worked with the other insurance companies in terms of innovating on behalf of or innovating with them? Yeah, that's a timely question. I spent last week in New York talking to a number of our clients, and I would say oftentimes in the past we would kind of incubate and then come forward and say, look at this great idea. And our more current approach is to go say, hey, we're focused on these six or seven macro themes that we think are going to have an impact on the industry. Which of these are most important to you? And would you like to work together on Mm. solving that? 
And, you know, in some cases, we might work with a client that we want to tackle issues of fraud. In other cases, they might be interested in health transfer or wellness. And so we've got a clear focus on our macro themes, understanding what theirs are. If we put our resources together, maybe we can have a bigger impact. So we're starting to do that more and more. As you said, you brought all this digital talent into RGAX, which is then cross-pollinated with RGA. Do you bring that all the way forward into your insurance customers as well? At this point, we haven't actually shared teams. It's more kind of some assigned resources. Mm. Uh, so to give maybe another example, sometimes within RJX, we'll invest in startups that we think have promise for our business or our client's business, and then we'll help those startups and introduce them to carriers, look for opportunities to partner with carriers. And in those cases, we may dedicate a few employees to the success of that investment and to nurturing that startup. Typically, what they don't have is some of the understanding of how highly regulated our industry is, some of the limitations of doing business. We're speaking the same language as the insurance carriers. And so we can help that startup by dedicating some resources to it. But then when we, in that kind of case, we marry them with a carrier, that insurance company is usually going to assign a few resources of its own to the success of that. But we don't move all those parties into one ecosystem or move them into the same building. They just end up collaborating as employees of those three entities. And I imagine that as innovation takes hold and you know gains pace, at some point in time, there's a line that sort of says, I made something better, I made something better, and then it's, there's a cross line that says, I made it different. How have you seen the insurance market or reinsurance market change materially because of innovation? Well, I, you know, I think that I, I kind of gave one example already that is having a material impact on the business, and that's accelerated underwriting. So looking for ways to bring in multiple data sources um, from electronic medical records to credit-related information in addition to what the consumer may provide uh, when filling out an application. It allows then, in some cases, machine learning algorithms to to run and, and, and allows ultimately the company to accelerate the process. And that can be the difference between getting an insurance product in you know days versus months hmm. versus when people used to have to schedule an exam, somebody would come to their home, they would give blood and urine, then that would go back to a lab and be evaluated, handed to an underwriter, and then eventually a decision would go back to the insurance agent and ultimately to the consumer to say, oh, good news, you were passed and here's your price. Right. We've really sped that up and so the consumer experience is better. There's more efficiency inside the insurance organizations, and it's, it's one of the things that RGX has been working hard with the core business of RGA to continue to innovate along those lines, to continue to speed that aspect of the journey. It's having a big impact on the industry already. Right. Was there an inherent advantage with being an insider into the marketplace and sort of seeing, I guess, the value chain from an end-to-end standpoint? I think one of the things that differentiates RGX from other businesses in our industry is that we have, through acquisition and investments and organic capabilities, 
really built an offering across the value chain of insurance from product development into marketing and distribution and underwriting and even into claims. And by doing that, we've had the opportunity to then use that as a playground for new innovation. So how can we use machine learning and AI or robotic process automation across the value chain? Well, now we can deploy it into these assets that we own that are servicing the value chain. So not only is it kind of unique that we offer those inside a reinsurance company, but that we can use those capabilities for our own innovation and experimentation and kind of prove out the value on behalf of those customers. RGAX comes in the marketplace, you're leading it, it's innovating, making important changes. If I put that aside for a second, there's a lot of leaders and firms that want to take that same set of steps. They want to have those same successes along the way for a variety of reasons, which is innovation has not been their history. There's a discomfort. Organizationally, they're not ready for it. For those folks, what is your advice from your vantage point to them? Yeah, I would say that the potential for disruption is everywhere. Uh, And we can go into the statistics of how many Fortune 500 companies (laughs) have gone by the wayside over the last 30 years. And if you take it even down a scale, you know, there's disruption happening at every level of business, small, medium-sized companies. But it's not just about disruption. It can also be about continuing to find new ways to make money, save money. There's, there's a lot of different things to think about from an innovation standpoint and the impact it can have. So I would encourage people who haven't really committed much resource to it to first look inside and say, do we have people in our organization that are intellectually curious that would really enjoy being a part of uh, maybe this new ecosystem inside that's doing some research on the sector to see what else is happening? who else is out there innovating, what they're doing in our arena, who might enjoy spending time with other companies that could be good business partners to the industry. Because what we found were there are people that tend to migrate to that opportunity that don't necessarily want to see the same start to finish to their their day job and and might even raise their hands and say, I would love to be a part of that. And, and, And just commit to getting started even in some small way, to say, I want this group of people to focus on either maybe some emerging technology to see how we could leverage it, some emerging trend, see how it could impact our business, or to go explore other third parties, see what they're doing. I think getting started with people who already have kind of a predisposition for it or maybe a passion would be my advice. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, Victor. All right. Thank you, Dennis. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.